Pastor Kevin mentioned, we're wrapping up the before and after series today. And with Pentecost, that means there's a lot to cover. I'm going to ask you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to be focusing largely on the after of Pentecost, but with some reference to the before. But to sort of set the stage for the scripture reading, which will be Acts 4, 23 to 31, let me set the before stage for you in the book of Acts. In the first chapter of Acts, it's uh, Jesus ascends, and then there's sort of life together. What do we do? And the second chapter comes, and the day happens, the Holy Spirit comes, and then it all moves from there on to after Pentecost. And we come into the fourth chapter, and what's happened is that uh, Peter and John have, have healed a blind man and have healed a crippled man in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, they're preaching and teaching, and lives are being changed by the minute, by the hour, by the day. And that upsets the religious leaders, and so they call Peter and John before them. They throw them in prison for a night. Next day, they tell them, don't preach anymore. And then they release them. We begin our reading at that point in the fourth chapter, starting in verse 23 in the book of Acts. Let us hear the word of God. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. I had the joy of coaching each of my three sons in soccer. They were all great players, of course, but one of them started out as a, as a good player who simply just enjoyed playing soccer and being on the field with his friends. But one day he was dribbling down the sideline on a breakaway, and a defender from the other team came and with both hands illegally shoved him, pushed him off the ball, took the ball, and headed up the field. And at that moment in time, something changed in my son. For the first time I'd ever seen him playing soccer, he got angry, and he started to play aggressively. From that moment on, he was a much different, much better player. Only after he got shoved did he play with a little more power. It's like that shove somehow gave him a surge of power. Pentecost is about the power-producing shove of the Holy Spirit. Think about how the disciples and followers of Jesus were feeling. After Jesus died, they were helpless and hopeless. They were powerless. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and they were all excited again and enjoying life with this, this newly resurrected Jesus. 
But then Jesus began to say he was leaving again and that he was going from them. And just before he ascended to heaven, he said, Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? Just what does this this shove of the Spirit, this, this power wardrobe look like? How do we put on this power clothing? First, we are to release unquestionable power. Think about what had been happening since the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Four verses later. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then in Acts 3, as I mentioned, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They find a man who's crippled from birth. They heal him, and they give credit to Jesus Christ. And then verse 4 of chapter 4 says, Many who heard their message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Society was experiencing, as Paul would later say, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. And by the way, the word that Paul uses for power is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. It is an explosive power. Listen to Paul's description of this power. Book of Ephesians, chapters 1 and 3. I pray that you may know his incomparably great power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, the power by which he raised Jesus, the power by which he lifted up the ascended Jesus, is the power that is at work within us. Have you ever been doing a little home repair and maybe you've been changing a light switch or something and you figured you could do it without having to flip the circuit and all of a sudden you get a poke? Yeah, it's good. Some of you have done that too. (laughs) I thought of that because someone has described this infusion of Holy Spirit power as the electrifying of tissue in our inner being. It shocks us. It moves us. It is a power that enables ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Because, as we said at the very outset of the service, Jesus is within us. Remember what that power did for the disciples? They changed from a timid, confused group of followers into a group of world beaters who turned their world upside down. So the first take-home for us today is that power is released whenever we give witness to Jesus. Power is released whenever we give witness to Jesus. The religious leaders were frustrated. They were the learned ones. They were the powerful ones. They were the molders of society. And there was no way that this band of common men should be able to draw attention away from those leaders. Peter and John had no diploma from the school of Gamaliel. They had no letter of recommendation from the high priest. They had no preaching license from the Sanhedrin. It really was, again, sort of David against Goliath, the the plain man against the, the theological who's who. But as Peter and John preached, these religious leaders, these power brokers, could not deny the resurrection of Christ. 
They could not refute the miracle that they had seen. All they could do was try to put the brakes on Peter and John's preaching because they knew that somehow it was the preaching that was doing the harm. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 4. They, the religious authorities, had Peter and John brought before them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. It's not that Peter and John had missed out on the first moment of Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. This was a special filling of the Spirit for this moment in time. The Holy Spirit never refuses an invitation or opportunity to witness with power. The outpouring of God's Spirit is for the outgoing of God's people. Wherever and whenever the Gospel is preached, wherever and whenever a witness is given, there is an explosive shove of power for salvation that is released. They were experiencing what Jesus had promised. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The significance here is that Peter and John were standing before the very people who had condemned Jesus to death. Their lives were on the line, and yet they boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ because they knew they had the Holy Spirit's power flowing through them. Always remember that the worst that can happen to us brings out the best the Holy Spirit has to give. Let me ask you something. If, if it became a crime to witness to Jesus in Michigan, would the authorities need to arrest you? If you were warned and threatened, what would you do? In one country, a father and a son heard about a team of people that were going around playing what was called a Jesus film and sharing the gospel of Jesus. In their minds, this was supreme blasphemy, and so they decided it had to stop. So late one evening, this father and son grabbed their guns and went to search for the team, and they found where they were, and they burst in on them. Middle of the night, the team woke up with guns pointed at their faces. The father and son said, Are you the ones showing the film about the prophet, causing people to stop following our faith? Knowing they could be killed in the next moment, they courageously replied, Yes, we are the people. And if you've come to kill us, that's okay. But we have just one request. Would you please first watch the film? And amazingly, they said they would. So they set up the projector, they showed the film. And for the first time, the father and son began to hear the message of the gospel, and it was in their own heart language, and so they could understand what was being said, and they began to be gripped by God's love, and began to understand that Jesus was not just a prophet, but that he was God incarnate. And something was happening inside of them. So when the film ended, rather than rise up and shoot them, the father stood up and he shouted, I have seen the Lord! And they led them to Christ, transformed by the Holy Spirit. That leads me to ask, what are you and what are we as a church attempting that cannot be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. I sometimes think that, at least in my life, I do so many things that I don't need the Holy Spirit for. They're so simple, I can do them. But what are we doing 
that without the Holy Spirit will fail? Do we trust enough to speak up at work, at school, at school board meeting, at city hall, in front of our peers? The Holy Spirit's power is released whenever we witness. But notice, too, that this power comes from the name of Jesus. Acts 4, verse 1. Then know this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you completely healed. The apostles simply told of their experience of Jesus. The Holy Spirit activates power at the name of Jesus. The church needs worship. The church needs programs and ministries. But the only thing that makes it all effective is what is done in the name of Jesus. Paul explained it to the church at Philippi, second chapter, chapter of his Philippian letter. Because Jesus died on the cross, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in the name of Jesus. We are not to save Jesus for the sanctuary. We are to share him wherever we are. To release unquestionable power, we must witness to Jesus. Put on and release unquestionable power through the name of Jesus. The second way we put on this clothing is to radiate an unmistakable presence. Let's do a little before. Just a few weeks before this, Peter and John feared the religious leaders. They tried to hide their worship and keep their preaching non-existence. But since then, they had experienced the power of the resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit, so much so that in chapter 4, verse 13, we read, the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Oh, I love that phrase. They could tell these men had been with Jesus. In other words, the leaders were hearing and seeing Jesus all over again. As Yogi Berra used to say, it's deja vu all over again. Some of you are saying, who's Yogi Berra? That just forget I said it. <laughs> Verse 14 of chapter 4. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with the apostles, there was nothing they could say. The greatest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is resurrected lives. Remember the time John the Baptist sent his followers to Jesus to ask if he was really the Messiah? And his response was, look what's happening. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead live. There are resurrected lives. People can preach the most powerful sermons. They can write the most magnificent dramas and music. They can produce the most moving films and videos. But the greatest testimony, the most effective witness, is a life radically altered because of Jesus Christ. Such a life cannot be denied. A little girl was standing on the edge of a crowd while her daddy was giving a, a testimony to the people who had gathered. 
He was talking about what Jesus had done in his life, and he was testifying how the Lord had saved him and brought him out of a life of what he called drunkenness. He claimed he had been a drunkard. But on the edge of the crowd, there was an old cynic standing there, and finally he had heard enough. And so he yelled out, Why don't you just shut up and sit down, man? You're just dreaming. Just a few moments later, he felt a tug on his sleeve, and he looked down, and here was this little girl, the man's daughter. She looked him straight in the eyes, and she said, Sir, that's my daddy you're talking about. You say my, my daddy's a dreamer? Let me tell you about my daddy. My daddy used to be a drunkard, and he would come home at night and beat my mother, and she would cry all night long. And, Mr., we didn't have good clothes to wear because my daddy would spend all his money on whiskey. And, Mr., some days I didn't even have shoes to wear to school. But look at these new shoes. And look at my new dress. My daddy has a good job now. And pointing to a woman standing over on the edge of the crowd a little distance away, she said, Do you see that woman smiling over there? That's my mother. She doesn't cry through the night anymore. Now she sings. And then she gave the knockout punch. She said, Jesus has changed my daddy. Jesus has changed our home, mister. If my daddy's dreaming, then don't wake him up. Has Jesus had an impact on your life? What is there about your life that demands an explanation? What about your life convinces others that you have been with Jesus? Is there something about you that the world simply cannot deny? The religious leaders knew their options were limited. And so they threatened Peter and John again and told them not to speak anymore in, in Jesus' name. That's like trying to stop a hurricane by going... Or to stop a train from coming down the tracks by going, Stop! The force is too great. It doesn't work. The edicts of humankind are no match for the decrees of God. And so in response to the edict of silence, Peter and John replied, verse 19 of chapter 4, Judge for yourselves whether or not it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but speaking. When we are privy to the resurrection, we can no longer be private with our testimony. Those who have truly been with Jesus cannot help themselves. They cannot be silent. Adoniram Judson was a renowned missionary to Burma. For seven heartbreaking years, he suffered hunger and privation. And during his time, he was thrown into the famed Ava prison for 17 months, he was subjected to incredible mistreatment. In fact, as a result, the rest of his life, he carried the scars caused by the chains that bound him. But undaunted, upon his release, he asked for permission to go into yet another country to preach the gospel. The godless ruler indignantly denied his request and then said, my people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say, but I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. We heard a great sermon a few weeks ago about letting our scars speak. Here it is again. 
We must radiate an unmistakable presence through living, resurrected lives, even through and particularly in our scars. And the third way to put on this power clothing is to rely on unbelievable prayer. Verse 23 of chapter 4. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now why did they enter into prayer? Jesus had taught the disciples the importance of prayer. Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostle, but of course he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he paid special attention to and made great note of Jesus' prayer life. He painted Jesus in times of regular, disciplined prayer, as well as special, intense times of prayer. Whenever something big was about to happen, Jesus prayed. Jesus' ministry began when he was baptized by John the Baptist. As he was being baptized, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Guess what Jesus was doing when God anointed him with the Holy Spirit? He was praying. Jesus selected 12 disciples. Guess what he did all night prior to selecting the disciples? He prayed. Jesus took three of his most beloved disciples up on a mountaintop, and he was transfigured into glory. Guess what they were doing when he was transfigured into glory? They were praying. As they came down that mountainside, the rest of the disciples were frustrated because they were unable to bring the demons out of a young boy. Guess what Jesus said was the only thing that could bring the demons out? Prayer. The disciples once asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Guess what they were doing when, guess what he was doing when they asked him to teach them? He was praying. And what about the night Jesus was arrested? The very eve of his crucifixion. Luke said he prayed so intensely he sweat drops of blood. So the disciples knew what it meant to pray fervently. And so they waited in prayer. They understood that prayer links us with the power of God. Later on in chapter 4, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Hear the prayer again. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They did not pray for protection, but for power. They did not pray that God would come and wipe out the enemy, but they prayed for the power to teach and to heal. They knew power was available. And as we're learning what tremendous power that is, E.M. Bounds once wrote, The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil everywhere. God shapes the world by prayer. Why? Because prayer fills us with boldness. Here again, verse 29. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They asked for power to do the very things that had gotten them in trouble in the first place. And then they went out and they preached and they healed again. Chapter 4, verse 33. With great power. 
The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was with them all. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. They performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Talk about excitement. And the point here is that there was a connection between what they prayed for and the results that came pouring in. Prayers went up, power flew down, people came in, lives were changed. And that same dynamic still happens today. It seems like a long time ago, even though it wasn't, that we started hearing about Asbury College and renewal that was taking place. It's still taking place. We just don't hear about it. It's not new news anymore. But just a few weeks ago, CBN News reported, and I quote, there's a whole lot of baptism going on these days. Signs of revival have been going on around the U.S. since February when a spiritual awakening began at Asbury University. Initially, the awakening seemed to be mainly happening among college students. But the latest evidence is being seen in the form of hundreds of salvations and baptisms at churches of all sizes across the country, from scores of souls being baptized at churches to dozens being baptized at one prison. Pastors across the United States are declaring God is on the move. One case in point, the last Saturday in April, more than 60,000 college students filled the University of Oklahoma's football stadium for a pep rally. Well, yeah, a pep rally of worship and evangelism. The event was called Fill the Stadium. It all began with a simple prayer. A senior simply prayed, God, what's next? And God gave him the vision and he went to work. And they filled 60,000 strong the stadium for a concert by Kerry Job and Chandler Moore and Chance the Rapper. It sold out within days of its first announcement. Unbelievable prayer. Relying on unbelievable prayer opens the door to the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives. Verse 31, after they prayed, listen to this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God boldly. I wonder... How often have we experienced that kind of power? I wonder, have we witnessed enough? Have our lives not radiated enough? Is it possible that we have not prayed enough? Somebody put it this way. Every time God comes to His church in the Acts of the Apostles, he has to interrupt their prayers to send them on his errands. Now we have to interrupt our errands to pray once in a while. Never forget that the position of submission brings a shower of power. God can do amazing things. The question is, do you really want him to send a shower of power? Do you really want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you really want God to take control of your life? Do you really dare to pray boldly? 
We've talked enough about prayer. Prayer doesn't need proof. It needs practice. Great evangelist E. Stanley Jones said, Jesus did not argue that God answers prayer. He just prayed, sometimes all night. And in the morning, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Where in your life do you need boldness to speak up and speak out? Where do you need to act and to witness, to take a stand? Where do you need to confront evil and opposition? Where do you need to do what seems impossible to you, but is possible for the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to pray as Jesus did? As the apostles did? Are you willing to join with others in prayer? Do you really want to be endowed with such boldness and experience that power? Yes, it's exciting, but it's also frightening. Are you willing to rely on unbelievable prayer? Will you reach for the power? My challenge to myself and every one of us here this morning is to, over the next few days, pray as we've never prayed before. To submit to God humbly and regularly so that our homes begin to shake so that our loved ones begin to shake, so that our church begins to shake, so that our neighbors begin to shake, so that our co-workers begin to shake, so that a shower of power bursts forth wherever we are. Can you even begin to imagine what would happen if we actually put on this power wardrobe? If we did, I think these words of unknown origin would describe us. There is no place anywhere near this place, like this place. So this must be the place. This will be the place if we're willing to put on the power wardrobe and release unquestionable power, radiate an unmistakable presence, and rely on unbelievable prayer. May it be so. May the Spirit give us a great big, power-producing shove even in these moments today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, on behalf of God, accomplish His purpose in our hearts and in our lives. Holy Spirit, rain down Rain down upon us, O Comforter and Friend. How we need your touch again. Holy Spirit, rain down. Let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Holy Spirit, rain down. No eye has seen No ear is heard, no mind can know what you have in store. So open up heaven, open it wide over your church and over our lives. Holy Spirit, rain down. We ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.